What is good, gamblers? We are back with episode two of Red Hot Takes, and boy, do we got a lot to get through today. First, we're going to be going through the first two rounds results and how they absolutely killed me and North on the books. Then we're going to be going through our remaining futures to hopefully save our asses. And then we'll be going through our Sweet 16 and Final Four predictions. And we'll be finishing up on a very heated debate on Conzo Martin and the state of where the Missouri Tigers are as a basketball team and what we expect of them coming forward. So let's go. Alrighty, let's get this thing started. Uh, for starters, uh, I finished four and three this weekend on uh, the podcast picks. I finished up three point two units. However, the rest of the weekend I bet on about every other game and got about everything else wrong. So my picks were absolute dog shit. Lost a shit ton of money. North, how'd you do this weekend? Um, are we gonna talk about those max p- plays? Or are we gonna forget about those? No, you're gonna have to talk about those max plays. I told you it was gonna happen too. Uh, first things first, I guess. If I ever put out a max pick, just fade me. Automatically fade me. Auto fade. I went four and two this week. Um, my four one unit bets all hit pretty nicely too. They all covered pretty well. Um, my two max plays, they both just got crushed. Not even close. I mean, Michigan State really hurt. And if you guys watched the Purdue game, that was the one I was most confident in all weekend. And that one wasn't even ever close. I didn't have the game on, but it never looked close from the moment it started. Well, and it made it worse till I bet the second half. Oh, no. So we didn't just lose four units there. We lost a couple more, but we're still surviving. Yeah, we did survive the weekend, hit a big par like uh, a couple nights ago uh, to get me back in the game for this Sweet 16, feeling pretty good about it. What was uh, that parlay? Uh, so the parlay was Oregon State money line, um, Arkansas money line. Oral Roberts money line and uh, Baylor minus six and a half. So that was all on Sunday, and it luckily hit at the very end. After the train wreck that was Sister Jean coming through? Yes, the train wreck that was Sister Jean coming through. I had Illinois for my future, of course. I talked about Io winning uh, National Player of the Year. I'm sorry for putting that jinx on you, Io. I really feel personally responsible for your shit performance against Loyola of Chicago. What about our man uh, Cameron Crutwig just making Desumu and Cockburn just kind of look terrible? It, it was it like was he, crazy. Like he 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 picked his pocket two or three times. I know. Um, and then he made Cockburn look out of shape. And in the, in the last two minutes of the game, I think there was one play where he didn't even get up the floor in time. They had a layup. He didn't, he didn't get up the floor in time on offense, and then they stole it, and he didn't get back on defense either. And they just put a layup right in. It was pretty crazy to watch. Uh, really thinks. For me, that Loyola Chicago is just dangerous, and I'm not going to probably bet on against them for the rest of the year. I can't imagine. Oh, no. I'd rather lose money betting with Sister Jean now than going against her. Yeah, exactly. Can never bet against a nun. The only thing about her, though, is she kind of looked like she was asleep the whole game on Sunday. She like kind of looked like she was there, but not. I mean, she's 101 years old. I wouldn't be surprised if Bovada had like a line on if she'd survive the whole tournament or not. What do you think that line would be? Probably minus 250, but it's not minus that much. 101, you're gone any second. <laughs> Uh, But all right, let's get back to it. Um, Not too much to talk about for the first two rounds. Uh, There was just a whole bunch of crazy upsets. Uh, Oral Roberts, nuts, you know. Nuts. I tried tried a little system on Friday. It got shut down after the second time I did it. I took Illinois first half and Illinois full game, thinking that it would work on the spread. It it worked the first time. 
Second time I took Ohio State, and I took Ohio State first half and full game. Well, I don't think I need to tell you how that went. Yeah, then live bet him second half. I decided to live bet him second half with you. Then, of course, they came back and beat Florida in a great game on Sunday night. Another terrific one to watch. Um, I do think they have the chance to beat Arkansas this weekend. Max Amos can score against literally anyone on the in the entire country. I really like them a lot. I mean, I don't like them because they made me lose money. But like, if I outside of losing the money part, watching them play was so much fun. And like, they look like they actually are a team now, and they look like they understand like the, that they do certain things well that they have a chance to win. Which, yeah, I mean, they shoot the three pretty well as a team. They shoot it thirty nine percent as a team. So I, I think that game's gonna be really fun. I think that game's gonna be in the eighties. I mean, it's gonna be up and down. Arkansas wants to get up and down. Oral Roberts wants to get up and down. That's gonna be a really fun one. Yeah, very excited. So let's get into our futures that we have remaining. I gave out a whole list of them last weekend. Uh gave out Oklahoma State, obviously gone. Illinois, gone. Texas, gone. So the only ones that I have remaining are Alabama to the final four and to win it all and then i have oregon to the final four that one i gave out at the very end of the podcast and the beginning of the podcast last week looking pretty good now i said oregon was going to be a dangerous team north you laughed in my face you took iowa money line yesterday what do you got to say about oregon Oregon's pretty fun. I didn't realize they had five guys who can just absolutely score it. Anyone, any can, any one of them. Well, I didn't realize the Richardson guy was back. That's that's the one that I didn't know. I thought he was still hurt, and I guess he's come back a couple games ago. My bad. I think you just should never bet against him. The over was the easiest thing in that game. I think it was at a hundred um, in the first half. Yeah, and the was line good. was at one forty-seven. It closed at. Yeah, closed at uh, 150, I believe, and it was 56-46 at the end of the first half, so if it was 102 at the end of the first half, only needed 48 more points, fucking nuts. <laughs> fucking nuts is right, but what what do you think about all these Pac-12 schools making making it a little bit of a interesting ride here? You know, we did like 200 takes last weekend, and I think in one of those, I said that I thought the Pac-12 was good. I don't know if it ever got out into the last episode, but I do think they're a good conference, you know. They're very athletic, USC, just crazy amounts of length everywhere. And I just think people underestimate them the entire season. And without any interconference games to be played, you really had no idea what the talent level was between the two. Well, I think it's really interesting. Like you said, I think they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. I think Oregon State's coach um, came out the other day in the presser after they beat, um, who was it, Oklahoma State? Yeah, said, Oklahoma State. Um, maybe now we'll get some damn respect. So I, I think that. Maybe the whole conference is just like, hey, let's go out here and fuck people up and see what happens. Yeah, I think Pac-12 is probably pretty sick and tired. I don't think anyone's cared about the Pac-12 since like Oregon was good at football like six years ago. So I think people are trying to get back into the Pac-12 a little bit more here. So they're, you know, they're making a good push at it with this tournament. Um, but let's get in to the Sweet 16 matchups. We got a lot of great matchups today, uh, next weekend. And there's a lot of them I really like that I feel really great about. The first one we're going to go to is Loyola versus Oregon State. Uh, North, do you want to start us off there? Yeah, I think that game's going to be really interesting. I think that game is going to be decided between the two bigs. I think Cameron Cartwright is just somebody that you cannot prepare for. He is basically a point center, and he's just kind of facilitating the whole offense. I think that part is going to be really interesting. I think how Oregon State handles that is going to really dictate how this game's played because Loyola Chicago is just going to grind you out for 30 seconds on offense. They're going to turn around. They're going to guard you for 30, and I just – if you have a couple bad minutes, you see what happens. You saw what happens with Illinois, that you go down 10 points, and then you're basically a 10-point lead is like a 20-point lead with Loyola. Yeah, you know, I like Oregon State a lot. I think they have a lot of talent, and I think they do have a chance to win this game. But you keep watching Loyola, and you just see how smart they play. They change their game plan every game just to like however and whoever they're playing. They're just a chameleon of an offense and stuff. And, 
it's just it's gonna be really hard to bet against them i don't know if they're gonna cover that number at seven because that just kind of seems like a lot especially with how good their defense is and how low scoring they usually keep games uh but i do think they are going to come out with that win and we will see loyola in the elite eight again this year yeah a little later in the show i will uh, come out with my money line parlay that is included with loyola chicago all righty uh next game we got we have oral roberts and arkansas uh, i'll start off with this one so oral roberts is plus 11 this weekend i just i don't see how that makes any sense how they're plus 11 I get Arkansas. They do have a good rate of defense on the Ken Palm at an 89.5 rating, but I've watched them play a lot this year, and they haven't really impressed me on the defensive side of the ball that much. Uh, Oral Roberts shoots the three extremely well. They shoot it at a rate of 39% from three, and they take almost 28 threes per game. Arkansas lets in the three at a rate of 33.5%, so they're not great at protecting the three really. Uh, I just don't really see any way how Oral Roberts doesn't keep this within plus 11. And I might even sprinkle a little bit on the money line. I will put that out on the Twitter for sure if I do. I 100% agree with you. I think the value is at least three or four points higher than it should be. I think this is more like a minus six or minus seven game. I think that's where it should be, but it's not. So I think that's something early in the week. If you have a book that has it has the option for you to take it, I think you should take it now. Yeah, yeah, I think it should be at like five and a half right now or something like that. I mean, like we said earlier, Max Amos, I mean, he's the highest point scorer in all of college basketball. And if you've watched him these past two games, I don't. There's no one on Arkansas that's gonna be able to stop him. Not if no one on Florida or Ohio State could stop him. The one big question mark though is how are they gonna handle Moses Moody? Moses Moody is a lottery pick, and that is something just to consider um, in that game. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas does run it up and down the court really, really fast, and Or Roberts' defense doesn't look very great usually, but. I'm just hoping that their offense will be able to keep them in uh, within that spread. What's the open uh, over under in that game? Uh, 159 and a half. I, I wanted to take that, but 159 and a half is a lot. I do still think I might touch it, though. 80 to 80 seems pretty reasonable for them. I think that game is going to be played in the 80s 100%. Yeah. One thing I do think, though, and I'm going to ask you about it, too. Do you think that there's going to be a little bit of that first half under magic again this week? Because last week that hit at a crazy rate. Uh, you know, I, that's just that's something that happens just so irregularly. You know, one one week the first half under smack, and then the next week the first half over smack. I do think as the pressure builds, you do see the first half under might be able to smack a little bit more, but the line adjusters usually adjust for pressure and stuff like that, and they're really smart. So you never want to bet uh, first halves usually. That did not end well for us this week. That's how I am in the hole right now. Aren't we always in the hole? Exactly. Uh, next game we got, we have Syracuse versus Houston. Uh, I'm taking Syracuse plus six, and I'm taking Syracuse. Uh, never mind. I'm not taking Syracuse on the money line. Got some cold feet there. I, I love Syracuse to death. I love them. But they run this 2-3 defense. It does do a lot of really, really good things. But the one thing that the 2-3 defense is capable of like showing a hole in is offensive rebounds. And Houston rebounds the absolute shit out of the ball. Uh, I think that Houston might be able to just get a crazy amount of second chance opportunities. And even though Syracuse will probably bang in more threes and keep it really close, I do think that inability to rebound the ball defensively might come back to haunt them in the end of the game. And Houston might be able to sneak out a close win. I think that game is going to be very close, and it might be one of the better games of the weekend. I think that one is one I have circled. I think the other one that I have circled that I'm really excited for is that Michigan State or Michigan Florida State game. I think that one is the other game that's going to be um, wire to wire, close the whole game, and then hopefully at the very end we'll see some great moments down the stretch, maybe even a buzzer beater. Which have we talked about that? Was there a buzzer beater last weekend at there, all? There was no buzzer beaters last weekend at all. There was the free throws made with one second left in the Abilene Christian game. 
But that was the closest thing we had to a buzzer beater. And then we had the buzzer beater to send it to overtime in the first game of the tournament with Virginia Tech and Florida. But that was it. But uh, another thing with the Syracuse game, you know, Syracuse shoots a crazy amount of threes. And Houston does defend uh, the three really well. Their opponent's three-point percentage is 29.3% on the year this year. Now, it does help when you play in a bad conference to protect the three. And they've played no one like Syracuse that can shoot it from anywhere on the court. But that is something to look into for that game. Uh, The next game on the schedule that we have is uh, Villanova and Baylor. And, you know, I just haven't been able to read Villanova at all correctly so far. So, North Long, you take this game. I think this game is just going to be won or lost on the defensive side of the floor. I think both teams are great defensively. I think both teams can score it a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be a real battle. Two great coaches. Um, your your take last week of them running out of um, energy, I think we can forget about that now. Yeah, that didn't work out too well. Um, um, might happen this week, though, a little bit. Just keep your eye out for it. Baylor does play fast, and they, they do play a decent amount of guards, so that will be interesting. I think guard plays another thing that's going to be a big deal. Um Robinson Earl, though, has just been awesome, though, for Villanova, and I think that's somebody to look for. And then they've also just been shooting the absolute shit out of the ball. If they keep shooting it at, like, at a clip that they were doing this past weekend, I think you know you might get lucky and get that money line. Um, plus six, again, I'm, a, I'm in favor, especially in the tournament, of taking the points. Um, two good teams playing each other. I'd rather have the points than trying to figure out a minus six and a half and wait for free throws at the end yeah you know i keep saying i don't know anything going on with villanova but in this one i think i'll probably be betting against villanova again i'd probably buy a point down to five and a half just because for some reason five and a half sounds a little bit more comfortable but villanova did have to play just winthrop and north texas their first two games so they didn't really have to worry about their bench depth because their starters were just so much better than everyone else but in this game when their starters come out there's going to be a clear disadvantage on the court and uh, Villanova lets up threes at a rate of 35%, and Baylor makes them at a rate of 42%. And so I just think Baylor's shooting ability and depth is going to be a real issue for Villanova this weekend, and you will see Baylor moving on. I like that too. Another, maybe another little preview from my Moneyline Parlay that Baylor's also in that. You seem to take heavy Moneyline Parlays, and I don't think that worked out once for you this weekend. So are you going to do it again next weekend? 100%, and this time it's going to work. <laughs> All right, yeah, I hope so. Uh, I did have a seven-leg parlay last night. Absolute heartbreaker. Uh, LSU just kind of killed my dreams. Um, I thought that they were really going to have a good chance against Michigan. They looked like they had a really good chance, but their pro-style basketball actually kind of became the worst of them, and they started to take some terrible shots at the end of that game and really cost themselves a chance of winning it. Yeah, that game was interesting. I think that there's there was a lot of talent on the floor, and I think that the team that played more as a team won that game, if that kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, it definitely makes sense if you watch the game. I, I think that there was a lot of uh, ball movement on one side, and the other side the ball was kind of sticking in one person's hand, and Michigan was able to load up to the ball a little bit to, and, and keep them out of the lane, which that's sort of what LSU wants to do is drive and kick, and they weren't able to do that last night. Yeah, I mean, Cam Thomas is great. He makes a lot of crazy shots, but at the same time, there was a few shots last night, especially one of the last ones at the end of the game where, I mean, he just he took the worst shot. He had three guys right around him, could have popped it out to a guy for a corner three or something like that, and instead just pulls up a contested mid-range jumper for no reason. Also, the charges in college basketball are getting absolutely insane. He had a terrible call against him when they were down 68-74. to 74. Should have been an and-one layup. Instead, they call the charge, feet clearly moving. NCAA basketball really needs to figure out this whole charge thing. I do like it a little bit in some instances, uh, but the charge is just getting crazy right now. 
The other team that takes a lot of charges is Arkansas. Arkansas takes like 10 a game. And it is the, honestly, it's one of the most frustrating parts about basketball right now, I think, is just if you slide your feet and you get lucky enough to get in front of somebody and you fall, it seems like it's always a charge. Yeah, and like you don't even have to have your feet set anymore, it seems like. Like you, you can just be sliding, and as long as you beat the guy there, just in general, it's a charge now. Uh, you can't even post up on a guy and back him down into the paint. That's considered a charge now. I just I think it's getting really ticky tacky, and I'd rather just see the offense dominate than see all these offensive fouls being called, creating foul trouble on great players and things like that. It's just really annoying to watch. How about also the flop warning? Yeah, the flop warning might be one of the worst calls I think I've ever heard of. Well, now. yeah, the flop warning's ridiculous because you also reward them for their flops like ten times a game with the charge calls. Because how many of those charges are like they're barely getting touched? So like you're not really doing anything with the flop warnings. It's just there for nothing, basically. It just kind of it just kind of stops the rhythm of the game, and then they go to the monitor, and everybody's like, "Yeah, you yeah. definitely flopped there." Yeah, it's just there. That's another thing. They go to the monitor way too much, checking clock every thirty-five seconds or every ten seconds when it's under two minutes. I just wish the game kind of stayed sped up a little bit more. Yeah, human error is part of the game, and I think that makes it fun. I think sometimes it's interesting when a referee makes a mistake and you can't fix it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's continue. We don't need to get sidetracked for too long. Uh, the next game we're going over Gonzaga versus Creighton. Gonzaga is minus 13 and a half right now. Minus 1115 on the money line over under is 158 and a half. Um, we don't really have to spend too much time on this game. Gonzaga is going to win this basketball game. Gonzaga is going to move forward. I think we can talk about the next one now. Yeah. I mean, Creighton too inconsistent does not have a good enough defense. They don't have They don't have a rim protector. Nope. So let's just leave it there. Gonzaga will be moving on to the elite eight. Uh, one of my favorite matches of the sweet 16, we get a little pack 12 matchup, uh, Oregon versus USC. Uh, Oregon is plus two and a half, plus 120 on the money line, and over 140 is the uh, total. Uh, North, what do you think? This is another one where I kind of have to bite my tongue because I, I sat here and said the Pac-12 is just dog shit, and I'm going to retract my statement now. Um, they're a very okay basketball conference, I guess, is what I'll give them now. Yeah, I mean, they're top-heavy. I mean, you got to say Oregon and LSU, or sorry, not LSU, USC and Colorado are all really good basketball teams. But, I mean, I would still say the bottom half of the of uh, the Pac-12 is pretty weak. I still don't think UCLA is that good of a basketball team. I think it's – yeah, I don't think UCLA is good either. But we all know what happened with them in Michigan State. Yeah. So, um, I think this game's going to be really interesting. I think um, yesterday after watching them play Iowa and Oregon, I, I think that they have – everybody on the floor can shoot the ball. I think they played a really fast tempo and they play quick and I think they can really shoot it. They have three or four guys who can create their own shot, which is really important. If Figueroa shoots the ball – the way he did yesterday and the way he did in the first game, well, I guess not in the first game of the tournament, they didn't. They got a free pass there. Yeah, they got there. the free pass. They got the COVID-19. Yeah. But I think that's going to be an interesting game. I'm really not too concerned with um, who's going to win this game because I think it doesn't really matter. I think Gonzaga is going to steamroll whoever they play next. Yeah. Um, I think Oregon would maybe have a chance against Gonzaga just because Oregon can kind of score with them. But I think Oregon, as much as I do love them and I do have my futures on them, uh, and I, I think they can win this game, but I'm really worried about how they're going to do with Evan Mobley inside. Uh, they just they don't really have anybody that's even close to seven feet tall. Uh, Eugene uh, Amorier or whatever, however you pronounce his last name, he's only 6'6", and he plays their five position. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Evan Mobley just posts him up and takes him on. Uh, I do think if they can get their three-pointer and knock down the way they did against Iowa, though, there's no way they're going to lose that game to USC. Yeah, but I, again, I think, 
uh, tempo and pace of play is going to be a big decider in that game and also points in the paint. Yeah, definitely. Um, next one we got, you already mentioned this one a little bit, uh, Michigan and Florida State. Uh, Michigan is minus three, minus 155 on the money line, and the over-under is 147. Uh, North, you want to take this one too? Yep. This will be my max play of the week. I will be taking Florida State money line plus 140. Um, I really, really, really like Florida State in this game. I think Michigan is a little shorthanded without Isaiah Livers, and I think that it'll come out to show a little bit in this game. Florida State has 10 guys that they play, and they all kind of play the same way. They play very fast. They play up and down. They look for their best shot. They continuously attack the rim. Um, One thing that Michigan State doesn't really have is a a rim protector. Michigan, you mean? Yeah, Michigan. Um, They really don't have a rim protector. Hunter Dickinson's a great offensive player, but he really doesn't protect the rim that well. And I think that this game could really get out of hand quickly. Um, I'm going to say that, and then Michigan's going to come out and keep it to a 5-10 point game the whole time, though. Yeah, I'd probably even win. Um, But I do agree with you there. Uh, I do like Florida State as well. Um, you know, they have a little bit of size that LSU lacked last night. They have a seven foot center that plays that starts that's gonna be able to mark up Dickinson a little bit better than LSU did last night. LSU really struggled to put someone on and they had to collapse like two to three guys on them every time and left guys open. Also, Michigan last night had two career highs with two different dudes, and you know, I just don't see that happen in back to back games. It took that to just barely beat LSU. And I just think the athleticism of Florida State's about to really pop out, and they're going to end up beating Michigan in this one. So I also like Florida State, but I will be taking the points and not the money line in that one. But in this one, since I do also have the Alabama going to the Final Four pro, uh, future, I will say I wouldn't mind seeing Michigan win this game because I think an Alabama-Florida State matchup is going to be a little more difficult for Alabama to win. I do agree. Um you know, both of those teams are really dangerous. So at this point, I'll play whoever. I just really want Alabama to make it through. But if I had to pick and choose, I would take Michigan without Isaiah Livers, which it doesn't look like he's coming back at any point. They said it would be a miracle if he made it back for the tournament, which I just think means he's out. They're well, just looking for his NBA future at this point. And this is also, this is the Big Ten's last chance here. This was supposed to be the Big Ten's year, and this is their last team in the tournament. So. Um, that's also something to look out for too. Yeah, I had that Big Ten as a big old group of frauds parlay that started on Saturday that would have gone through if Michigan would have lost yesterday. But that's all right. Uh, last game of the Sweet 16, um, me and North, both our Final Four team, my national champion, UCLA versus Alabama. Uh, I think we know both way, which way we're both going on this one. 100% I will be taking Alabama. I will be taking their money line. I will be taking their spread. I will be taking their first half. I might even take their team total points over. I think the way that they're playing right now, if John Petty gets going like he did last night, I'm not sure anybody in the country besides Gonzaga can play with them step for step. Well, not even as much uh, John Petty. How about Jaden Shackelford? That dude was literally pulling up from the parking lot last night, banging everything. Javon Quinterly coming off the bench. He had a double-double, 14 points, 11 assists last night. I think he did that in about 20 minutes. I mean, Um, Herb Jones, obviously. We've talked about him before. He battled foul trouble last night. He barely even played. Yeah. Um, But I also agree, you know, I'm taking Alabama on everything. I'm taking a minus five and a half. I'm taking a minus 245 money line. One of the big reasons I really like them, Alabama shoots the three really, really well this year, and they take about 30 of them per game. And UCLA allows three-pointers made at a rate of 34.6%, one of the worst in the country. So I just think, you know, with that mixed in, they're just going to dominate them inside with Herb, and then Herb can just kick it out in this large splash and threes. I just do not see this game being any any sort of close. I'm pretty excited for this matchup. If you would have told me that this was what I was going to get 
um, with with our future as a Sweet 16 matchup, I'd be very excited. Yeah, I I also agree. That probably means that it is going to be really close if we both agree that it's going to be a blowout. But I could see Alabama winning this one like 85 to 65, like just not even close from the moment it started to the moment it ended. They have a 10 to 15 point lead. They just have such a knockout punch potential too. I mean, last night you saw it in the second half. It was a 10 point game and then all of a sudden it went from 10 to 22. Yeah, I mean, they they were losing by five like right before halftime and then all of a sudden they're up. 17 right after halftime like five minutes later it was crazy but uh next we are on to our final four predictions i think we're pretty similar here uh let's start up in the west what do you got for the west i have gonzaga coming out of the west bracket i think um the way that they played the first two games has really shown that i don't know if anybody in that bracket can beat them i'm pretty confident to say i think there's only two teams in the country that can beat them and to beat them those two teams still have to have the best games of their whole seasons to beat them yeah um so for out of the west i have oregon i know i just said i was a little bit afraid about usc versus oregon but i do think that oregon's three-point percentage or three-point making ability is going to be able to get at them through that game and then i think they're gonna be able to keep up with gonzaga score for score and maybe even sneak one out so i do have oregon making the final four in the west uh in the east we both agree of course uh it's alabama all the way um, not too much to say about it. We literally just talked about why we like him so much. So let's just leave it right there. Uh, in the top right, in the south, we have Baylor, or I have Baylor. What do you got? I have Baylor as well. I think Baylor is the best team in that um, bracket. I think that they are from top to bottom the best. I think they're finally starting to find themselves after their little COVID um, incident they had about a month ago where they kind of came out of it a little sloppy and a little slow. I think they've started to kind of turn the corner a little bit. Yeah, uh, I like I said, I have Baylor as well. Um, but, you know, I do kind of like uh, Arkansas maybe against them if they can get there. But I think Oral Roberts might be able to pull off that upset this week. That's why I think Baylor's going to make it through. And then in the Midwest region, uh, we're both riding Sister Jean. I was off this train. Um, but, you know, I got to hop back on. I've watched too many games. I just think they're too good of a coach. Uh, their players are too good, too smart, and I think they're just going to be able to beat Oregon State, who's just going to be a little bit under-talented compared to them this weekend. And well, then One thing to remember about that, too, is that from their 2019 team that went, or 2018 team that went to the Final Four, their defensive efficiency this year is better than that team. So that's something to kind of remember, too, is that this team is better than that 2018 team that made the run as well. Yeah, and, you know, they have the shot makers to do it as well. We've watched the first two games, and I was a little bit questioning, you know, how well they're going to be able to shoot the ball, but Crutwig moves the ball around so well, and the dudes are hitting their open shots. As long as they can do that, I, the people are really going to struggle to beat them. Coach Moser in March, man, it works. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Not not too much more you can say about him. He's an unbelievable coach. Crazy he's been there for like nine years, Um, you know, patience is something that it takes for some schools and on that note let's move in to the final subject of the day uh let's strap in folks because i'm fucking ready for this one we are going to be discussing kwanzo martin in the future of the missouri tigers um north do you want me to start or do you want you to start i i'll leave it up to you all right let's hear it tj all right so you know it's not like we've made the deepest runs or anything, but we got to give the guy time. I mean, he's only been here for four years. He's made it to the tournament twice. He has a winning record. He's 10 games above 500. I mean, I just don't know what we're expecting out of him just yet. I can understand that to a point, but most most coaches get about four years to show something. And I guess a tournament run is good enough. I guess a tournament appearance is good enough. 
But in my opinion, just knowing what he could do and what opportunities he has, he hasn't really lived up to him. He hasn't really taken full advantage of, like I say, Coach Drinkwitz, who has just started to recruit St. Louis and Kansas City extremely well. You know, I do agree. I think he could recruit St. Louis a little bit better, but I think he's doing that uh, next year, you know, not St. Louis in general, but just Missouri in general. He's getting three guys out of Missouri next year. Um, and, you know, it's just it's so hard to get good recruits when you were in the bottom of the barrel that Kim Anderson and Frank Haith put us in. I mean, Kim Anderson was 27 and 68 in his career with the Missouri Tigers in the three years he was the coach. That is the worst three-year stretch that we have had since 1964 to 1967 when we went 19 and 54 in those three years. To go back on on the recruit situation, though, the best recruit that he got was obviously Michael Porter, and him being hurt was just an unfortunate situation. Then the following year, Jonte got hurt. So you can't really fault the man for that. But he hired their dad. Yeah, he, he, he kind of stole that recruit. Okay, I get that. That, like, that doesn't really count. He kind of stole it. I understand that, but like, I'll hire anybody's dads. I'll, I'll Amani Bates. Does his dad, does his dad want a fucking job with the Tigers? Well, Josh, I'll hire him Josh right now. Christopher's uh, uncle is the strength and conditioning coach, and we couldn't get him. So uh, yeah, like just just start hiring people's dads if or and uncles if that's what it takes. I really don't care as long as he gets some players here. But I just think. You know, in three to four more years, if he's still not getting anyone out of St. Louis and we're not in the tournament, then I understand, you know, he's been here for six or seven years. We got to get him out of here. But this has been his first full four years. These guys that are graduating this year were his first class, his first recruiting class. I think it will be a good thing to get a fresh page in next year and just really reset, get out all the old dudes and just kind of reset from where we were start to build up those uh, freshmen again. And I think we can really get a good basketball team here in a couple of years if he does recruiting well uh, in 2023 as well as he did in 2022. My only problem with it, though, is as we look back at this past year, okay, and we sit here and think about what the Tigers were this year. They beat Oregon to start off the year. They beat Illinois to start off the year. And that, to me, those are two huge wins. But did we plateau? Did we get better throughout the year? I don't think we did. I think... If you look at us in December, I think we were a better version of ourselves than we were in March. And I think there in lies why I'm not a big fan of Conso Martin. But my biggest thing with that is, you know, you can blame him a little bit. But at the same time, you just need someone on the team that when there's like five minutes left in the game, you can just like give him the ball and trust him to make correct decisions. And we just had a whole bunch of dudes that got scared with the lead and with the ball with the last five minutes of the game. And as well, much coaching as you can do, I just don't know how you coach that out of kids. I get that to, to I guess a little bit, but there's other problems with it though. Like, do we know what style of play do, are they trying to play? Like he he and the and the pressers and stuff says we're a hard nosed physical defensive team. But then I watch them play and they give up 75 points and they let people just get to the rim. I or, will I will agree with you there. This year statistically has been his worst defensive performance out of any of his first four years. So I do think he needs to get back to playing better defense. And they were in the beginning of the year playing really good defense. But I think the beginning of the year was a little different because he had his full team back from last year. And I think that other teams didn't have that, especially with COVID. They didn't have practices. So they had an upper hand to begin the year and they didn't get much better. And that's to me, that's where I get frustrated between him not recruiting St. Louis or Kansas City or even the state of Missouri or even this region, Mizzou is a, a great place to go play. If we're good, people will go. Look at Coach Drinkwist. He's got everybody excited. This fall, that place is going to be packed. It's yeah, going to be rocking. SEC is the number one football conference. It's not the number one basketball conference. I mean, people want to – I would rather go play in the Big 12. I'd rather go play in the Big 10 if I was a basketball kid. The arguments, the arguments can be made, I guess, but 
look at it now. You have Bama, you have Arkansas, both in the Sweet 16. Yeah, Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky had one of their worst years to date in the last 50 years, and when they come back, what, that's at least three programs that are going to consistently be there now. Yeah, I mean, LSU's it, it's there. definitely on the rise now. Tennessee's yeah. there. I mean, the coaches are there. Auburn's there. These All these teams are going to get better, and if we stick with Kinds, are we just going to stick in the middle of the pack, or are we ever going to rise to that top four in the SEC? Yeah, you know, I just – I don't know. I just don't see us getting any better coach. I mean, you can name some coaches out there that are really good coaches, but I just don't think they would leave their perfect like places where they're at to come play or to come coach for the Missouri Tigers. What about old Ricky P up in Iona? Do we want another Frank Haith here? Like he's just going to, we're going to, our program will be in shambles by the time he leaves in five years. Hey, he could bring some strippers around. I mean, I, I would, if, if you try to convince me Rick Pitino, I'd probably end up buying in on it, but I just I think Quanzo's our best opportunity for now, and I think we still need to give him a couple more years. That's my biggest thing. I'm not saying he's the guaranteed, you know, problem solver. I just think we're jumping on the fire Quanzo ship a little bit too early. He came into a really, really bad situation. I think people are underestimating how bad of a situation that was. And he almost pulled this out of that terrible situation immediately as he got here, even if he did have to hire uh, Michael's dad. But I just I let's give him another two to three years. I'll give him this next year. I'll give him one more year of, of of an opportunity. I would love to see them fire him. I know they're not going to. So I think there's talks they're going to extend him. Actually, yeah, exactly. My point. So now I'll give him another year before I'm going to be all over the fire. Conzo may not even watch another Mizzou basketball game ever again if they don't get better. Um, the transfer um, window now is such a big thing of players coming from a smaller school to a bigger school if he were to get one or two impact transfers and come back with kobe brown who i love kobe brown's my favorite mizzou player um xavier penson if he can learn how not to be an idiot mess up yeah I guess um, that's the best way to put it yeah but kobe brown you know i like what you said there he's good we actually are getting his brother next year caleb brown which will be a good one um out of the transfer portal i'd love to see us try and go get cameron fletcher you know they said he was homesick um, they said he really struggled down there being away that far away from his home. So hopefully he can come back playing Columbia, be a little bit closer to home. And that'd be a great pickup through the transfer portal. See, that would get me, that would get me back on the, on the team. That'd get me back on the bus. Yeah, that, I know. He's a former wildcat and you love the Kentucky wildcats. You're not even a real Mizzou fan. What is this conversation no, no, about? I, I just, in my opinion, I just think that you got to recruit St. Louis and he's a guy that you got to give every, every last opportunity to bring him to Mizzou. And from what I've heard, he kind of did it. Also, Conzo left off the board. You have Ryan Kalkbrenner, who went to Creighton. He didn't even really recruit him. Luke Kazuki, um, Davion Brad Bradford, both at K-State, both great players, program players, two guys that we could have at Mizzou. Maybe they didn't play a lot this year, but a Davion Bradford behind Jeremiah Tillman would have fixed a lot of our issues instead of Mitchell Smith. Well, Mitchell Smith was partying at the bars. Yeah. Um, but that was our Quanzo argument. You know, we'll get big uh, more into it once the transfer window happens. See what they get. Uh, hopefully, they can get a couple transfers, and then you won't be able to have this argument anymore. I don't want to have this argument, so I really hope he does do something. Yeah, uh, and then to finish off the show real fast, we're gonna get out of here as quick as possible. We're just gonna give a quick fourteen parlay each, both our red hot lays of the weekend. Uh, I'll go first. I'm going to take Alabama. Money line minus 245. I'm going to take Florida State plus 130 on the money line. I'm going to take Syracuse plus seven and a half minus 140 on the spread. Buy yourself a point and a half. And then I'm going to take Oral Roberts plus 12 and a half by a point and a half. 
Um, that is my red hot lay for the weekend. North, you want to give yours real fast? Yep, my red hot lay is pretty simple. I have Loyola, Chicago money line, Alabama money line, Baylor money line, and Florida State money line. And that should do it. Uh, once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, we should be getting them out probably two to three times a week once college basketball is over and we dive knee deep into the MLB. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show and let's win some fucking money.